Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey everybody, it's Tina from The Rochecast. On this week's interview episode, we have Susan Crawford, who's a professor at the Harvard Law School. She lives here in New York. She's written a ton of books. I actually interviewed her years ago about net neutrality. She was a big proponent of net neutrality, but she's got a new book out. It's called Fiber, The Coming Tech Revolution and Why America Might Miss It. As you might have surmised from the title, it's a book about why we need better fiber network deployment here in the United States. She just traveled all around the world. She looked at a bunch of countries in Europe, in Asia. They have vastly better internet service than we do. And one of the reasons is they have vastly better fiber networks. Uh, we talked all about how those fiber networks are deployed, about the nature of the companies and the policies that lead to those deployments, about, this is true, about the Republican communities all across the country that are building their own fiber networks because they're just not getting serviced by the big carriers. It's a fascinating turnabout. It's exactly not what you would expect. Uh, we talked about all that. We talked about Huawei and the fact that rural carriers really need Huawei's cheap equipment to build out 5G. We also talked about 5G and what it could mean for big carriers controlling all the devices in our life. Just a wide-ranging conversation about the present and future of our broadband networks here in America and around the world. A super interesting conversation. She is so smart. It was so much fun to talk to her. Check it out. Okay, we're here with Susan Crawford, who's just written a new book called Fiber, The Coming Tech Revolution and Why America Might Miss It. An optimistic title to start 2019. Why write a book about fiber at this point in time? Well, Americans by and large don't travel a lot, but I've been privileged to go to South Korea and Japan and Sweden and all kinds of, and China and notice that what's going on in those countries is that they just take ubiquitous, really cheap, basically unlimited connectivity for granted. And I began to dig into that and find out why that is and why in the United States we're always thinking about how expensive it is and it feels like a huge rent that everybody's paying and it feels like a luxury. So I investigated the story. It turns out that the United States is due for a massive upgrade mm -hmm. to fiber optic connections between – it's called the last mile between uh, nodes connecting to the internet and individual homes and businesses – and we have no plan to make that upgrade. And that's because we've got a bunch of companies in the United States for whom the status quo is terrific, yeah. who have no interest in either being subject to competition or oversight. So that's the basic picture. And right now, you can see the crisis, but we don't have leadership in place that could change the story. So I want to dive into that, but I want to rewind just a little bit. The last time I talked to you, I think, 
was like 2007-ish. Mm-hmm. It was the height of the net neutrality battle. You had just written a book about Comcast and NBC. I remember you very distinctly saying, Comcast should be very happy that I've written this book because it makes a great case for their business. Because y- your entire approach was that they had become a monopoly and they were vertically integrating content. And you're saying, okay, it's 10, 12 years later. That business is great and they actually don't need to invest anymore. In fact, their capital expenditure is down from years in the past. They've spent their money. They're just going to sort of soak their network and try to increase the number of premium services that they're charging for. They have no incentive to expand their lines and they have no incentive to do this upgrade to fiber. So what's happening is that they're able to pick off very rich areas and cities and then leave behind poor people in those cities and completely leave behind rural areas. And so we're suffering in this country from a number of intense digital divides. One is between rural and urban. That's pretty well documented. The other, also well known, is between poor people and richer people in America. Mm-hmm. And the most scary of all, really, in this era of climate change and everything else going around the world, is that our relevance as a nation is under threat because we failed to take on this issue with leadership and vehemence and vigor. We just haven't done it. So just looking around the industry right now, every telecom company is trying in fits and starts to become a content company. Yeah. Right? So AT&T buys Time Warner. It's Comcast NBCU at massive scale. I have to mention, by the way, Comcast is an investor in Vox Media, which owns the version, owns uh, what we do here, but they don't love me, so it's not a big problem. Mm-hmm. I assure you, they're, they're not the biggest fans of me. But they own Vox Media, so if you're listening to this, it has been disclosed. Oh, and by the way, I have no clients or consulting arrangements, just to make that clear as well. See? You're cleaner than me. But my point is that deal years ago you wrote about it and said this is a harbinger of things to come. We now live in a world where those things have come come to pass at massive scale. That's right. But there are some failures here just to to challenge you on that. So Verizon tried to become a content company, disastrously failed in a number of ways. T-Mobile bought a TV company called Layer 3. This doesn't seem to have rolled out and they announced some partnership to do some other silly streaming thing on top of it that doesn't seem like it's going to go anywhere. It's not like Sprint is doing it. It's not like Charter and Spectrum are doing it. Why is it these big ones are succeeding in this way and it's not happening as pervasively across? That's usually the pushback I get is you're talking about Comcast and AT&T, which are their own companies, but these other companies aren't doing that thing. Look, the most important part of the story is actually the access network part. Mm-hmm. And so look hard at what Verizon is up to. They have stepped back from wireline mm-hmm. investment because their plan is for 5G to be a completely integrated and utterly controlled yeah. provider of very high premium wireless fixed wireless services. And they'll be able to pick and choose which services survive on their platform. That's the whole point of 5G. All those internet protocols that we mm-hmm. fell in love with, they don't function in the world of 5G. This is a completely uh, ad hoc uh, controlled thing from Verizon. It will allow them to sell smart city services mm-hmm which are high premium, they'll get a lot of money from that, in metro areas. And it will allow them to pick off some wealthy people who would like their uh, high-speed internet access connection in cities. So, in fact, Verizon does have a plan, which is to stay with wireless, to uh, really become a powerhouse in 5G in metro areas, and to, in that way, make more money from their existing assets. Right. And that's a huge push. Yeah. I mean, the amount of 5G hype hype that exists yeah. in this world. Mm-hmm. I described it yesterday in a talk I gave. It's a fake idea that everyone gets to put their own emotions on, like an inkblot test. Absolutely. And this was a room full of marketers that I was talking to, and they all just sort of nodded approvingly. They're mm-hmm. like, yes, we can, 
But you're saying that 5G protocol is going to be built atop the internet inf infrastructure we have now and allow for more sort of service discrimination to occur. Oh, absolutely. That's the point. Yeah. In fact, I saw a, a presentation in South Korea where Korea Telecom actually had on their slide market domination. That they're sick of being commoditized as a dump mm -hmm. pipe. They have other people making money from their infrastructure. Yeah. And 5G allows for that control. Are we just back in the cycle? I feel like we're this, doing it over and over and over right? again. I mean, you have AT&T saying they're not going to use my pipes for free. And now right. we have exactly. Korea Telecom saying we're not a dump pipe. Exactly. So we're just back at the start. And we always have choices. Yeah. We could say, let's have, and let's go all the way back down to the ground, let's have really great glass in the ground, that's the fiber optic mm -hmm. connection, that's just blank, dark fiber, but reaching, having interconnects into every home and business. Yeah. And then you'll be able to choose from a host of wireline providers, and by the way, a host of 5G providers. And it's that pressure of having great infrastructure open that is deliberately non-discriminatory mm -hmm. and allows for a lot of retail competition that's going to change the picture. We just haven't as made a, that as step. We haven't made it as a policy set of right. decisions. We this is all about policy, and we, we are in a vacuum of policy at this point. So to characterize sort of where the United States is versus Europe. Right. Europe historically has had fiber on the ground, lots of retail competition. Well, actually, Europe is heterogeneous. Mm -hmm. It depends where you are. So um, northern Europe, I'd say, uh, the Scandinavian countries are much better at this than southern Europe. Mm -hmm. And actually, in Germany, Deutsche Telekom has enormous power yeah. and no incentive to upgrade to fiber. They're, they're, doing, they're replicating our story in Germany. So, and in Britain, actually, they, it looks like they have regulatory oversight, but in fact, British Telecom gets to choose where that structural separation, it's called, takes place and mm -hmm. whether competition actually will exist. And they're seeing a huge rise in cable in England as well. So it's not one thing. It really matters what country you're in, whether they've made the sensible choices that will allow them the ubiquitous cheap access. Now, the country that we really should be focusing on is China. Mm -hmm. After I wrote this most recent book, Fiber, China is saying 80% of their homes and businesses are going to be connected to fiber. They're planning to be the next big market, the next place where great things come from. By the way, that market through Huawei will extend to a lot of developing countries. Mm -hmm. So their internet, their market will be circling the globe. And the United States has no response to that in league with its usual companions. So it is an astonishing moment in telecommunications. You brought up Huawei. Yeah. Huawei is in the news all over the place right now. Obviously, their CFO was, was just indicted, and there's some talk of extradition from Canada to the United States. Yeah. A controversial company inside of this company, to say the least. Inside of this country. Isn't it interesting that you said company instead of country? Yeah. It happens all the time. I met with the, the sort of like chief comms officer of Huawei, and she was insistent. It was, it was actually remarkable how insistent they were that they were not – they were separate from the Chinese government. Right. But even when you refer to our country, yeah. you slipped and called it a company. That's, that's the point I'm trying to point out, mm -hmm. that we've forgotten that there's a real line between public and private. Yeah. And the public sector has a very important role in crafting policy that serves everybody. In the Depression, we began to understand that private companies left to their own devices mm -hmm. are not necessarily going to serve the public good. We've forgotten that these days. And that's why we're in this state when it comes to telecom and many other issues in America. But back back to Huawei. Yeah. They are, of course, closely tied to the Chinese government. Enormous investment in their research and development was made by the Chinese government. And this is 
part of the Chinese 25-year plan to connect all the ports mm -hmm. that they need to move their goods using Huawei communications networks to provide telecom using Huawei gear. This is not just for surveillance. It's also for economic growth and market power. Again, because this perfect control will be possible, not just in knowing what's happening on your network, but who's allowed to use it for which services. Yeah. That allows the Chinese government to create its own global powerhouse based on telecom infrastructure. So we ran a story yesterday on The Verge. We went out and talked to a bunch of rural broadband providers mm -hmm. who are very excited about 5G because in their mind, it gives them the opportunity to not have to run cables to mm -hmm. these customers in far, far off places. They can just beam fixed wireless to them at high speeds. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, well, this Huawei thing is crushing us mm. because they're the cheapest provider of this equipment. And so now our costs are going to skyrocket. Right. The choice here is between profits and patriotism. Mm -hmm. It really is because that gear is 20 to 30 percent cheaper because of the weight of surveillance and market control it carries with it. And you would have to resist that and say, well, actually, in America, we want to have a free flow of information. We want to be able to let anybody with a good idea launch a new service. Mm -hmm. Those are our These are values. Near and dear to the These verge, are our right. values as Americans. And to put profit as the only value that anybody counts is a is tremendously corrosive and destructive. So I don't fault the rural carriers for wanting a better deal. It's just that it actually is too good to be true. It's not gear that should be in their networks. Should consumers be asking their carriers, hey, do you use Huawei equipment? <laughs> is, that, is, that like, is that a market signal that will be taken? They should be, but because they're unlikely to, mm -hmm. that's why it's the role of government to say something about this. Yeah. So our government right now is in a, a state of, I would say, uh, turmoil. Yes. Um, particularly because of the shutdown, and the FCC was literally shut down and was not doing anything for quite some time. My favorite story is that uh, uh, Pi, Chairman Pai himself was answering the press email line <gasps> last week. I didn't hear that. Yeah, uh, some reporters at Motherboard had sent in an email asking about location tracking, and he just personally started responding. Because he's the only person left. So the, the FCC is in this state, you know, they, they shut it down. Pi's entire, like, rhetorical argument is, I'm going to reduce the regulations, I'm going to let these carriers do whatever they want. They will dump cap expenditure into their networks, explosion of 5G, I've got to get out of the way and let this thing happen. As a matter of fact, we know from the recent public reports the companies mm -hmm. are making that their capital expenditure has gone down since Pi completely removed the threat of regulation from them. Yeah. Because they've, they've done it. They've built their networks. They just want to be able to make more money from the same assets. So not going to happen. So what is the move besides, you know, a turnover in government, a new FCC? <laughs> what are the policy moves that you need to make in order to push fiber development, in order to say we need to restart network equipment manufacture? I mean, I mean there's a lot of things here. What are, the, what are the set of policy prescriptions that you have? Well, we're already seeing a vast movement across the country that I document in this book, Fiber. Mm -hmm. About 800 communities in the United States and cooperatives are taking their destiny into their own hands yeah. and raising the money through bonds, through taxes, all kinds of ways to build fiber networks that serve people at cheap prices. One of the things that you point out in the book that I think is really interesting is these are not necessarily liberal communities. No, these not at all. Very fact, conservative right. communities. They're mostly Republican areas because yeah. this is just sensible. This is not partisan stuff. Again, it's about what is necessary to lead a decent life 
in the 21st century. And Republicans, as well as Democrats, understand that a key element of a decent life in the information age is to be part of it Mm -hmm. in a way that uh, you don't have to worry about what you're paying for it above the price of a utility. And it's persistent and uh, always operating and very high capacity. They, these Republicans and Democrats want businesses to come and stay in their town, want the young people who are in those towns to stay there. And they are committed to this. Not It doesn't really matter what networks already exist from the incumbents in those towns because mm-hmm. those networks aren't serving the public interest necessarily. And even the threat of a municipal move towards this causes the incumbents to lower their prices. So it's good yeah. all around no matter what happens. So this is a definite point of light in an otherwise gloomy universe when it comes to (laughs) telecom in the United States. There's so much local activity. There's so much just sensible interest in this subject as people understand how different fiber access is from what we've gotten used to as internet access in the United States Mm -hmm. and appreciate both the economic and social justice sort of American fairness values that are served by having this network in place. The story is exactly like what we went through with electrification. Mm -hmm. People don't know this, but electricity was once controlled in the United States by a handful of companies that divided up markets and served (laughs) only rich areas and left out rural and left out poor people. And what turned that story around initially was local progress. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're seeing right now in the United States. Eventually that shamed the feds and in particular FDR into taking on the issue. But the intervening thing that happened was the depression, that people understood that unrestrained profit-taking does not necessarily serve the public good, especially when it comes to things that are just utilities, Mm -hmm. like water, electricity, and you know, uh, clean air and all that kind of stuff. None none of that happens without government involvement. This is so basic and we've forgotten that lesson today. So we need both the fight at the local level. We need champions to emerge all over the country. We need uh, local government and federal government to um, lower the cost of capital to build these networks. We need to make sure that people are in place who understand how important it is that they be overseen by public authorities and not bought out by private equity. So they'll continue to have these public values in place. But the government itself does not need to be your ISP. That doesn't make sense to me, actually. I want to see lots of wholesale, or it's called dark fiber networks available, that uh, allow for fervent uh, retail competition on top mm-hmm. of them. It's just like a street grid or a highway system. Right. So who would own the dark fiber? Is that is that the government project? Is that you want a network of dark fiber providers that are restricted or regulated away from owning the, the vertical stack? Like We've always relied on private companies in the United States, really uh, alone mm-hmm. among developed nations. We've always relied on de- on private companies to provide us with telecom, but burdened with public obligations. Yeah. So for me, what matters is the public obligation, not the locus of ownership, although you have to make sure that uh, whoever owns it isn't gouging the retail yeah. providers, but at just charging a reasonable non-discriminatory price. I've seen this work so well in other countries yeah. because that's the way you engender uh, competition in telecom. Just to be clear, the dark fiber is some company would come in, right. they would lay a bunch of fiber, they would not be using it. Mm-mm. Another company, a retail provider, would come mm-hmm. in, light up a circuit to your house and say, yeah. I'm your ISP now. Right. And there would be and many choices of those retail providers. That right. has to be the case. This is the dream, by the way, is that you can see it. There's glimmers of it yes. in mobile mm-hmm. where you open up the cellular tab of an iPad. Yeah. And it's like, here's four providers and here's all the prices listed. And you just like 
Right. I want AT&T for 24 hours mm-hmm. and your SIM card lights up and it goes off. Like every time that happens to me on a trip with my iPad, I'm like, this is how everything should be all the time. Yet even those providers are in a pretty constrained market and they've mm-hmm. all got caps on data, yeah. a lot of them, and overage charges and, you know, networks that aren't quite equal. Mm-hmm. So if you get better infrastructure in place, those choices get better and better too. And that so, obviously reduces consumer Exactly. Costs. Okay. We're going to take one quick break to hear from the sponsor. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right. And now back to our conversation with Susan Crawford. So, you know, just talking to you, what's super interesting to me is I had Tim Wu on several weeks ago. Totally different subject. Uh, he's totally focused on antitrust law right yeah. now. He wants to break up Facebook. Nothing to do with putting fiber in the ground. Susan just rolls her eyes, by the way, <laughs> just so everybody knows. But he, that's where his mind is. Yes. Um, so radically different subjects. But both of you said something, and I just want to try to connect the dots. Both of you talked about the quality of life in America. Yeah. And related it very much to concentration and profit taking, especially by tech companies and telecom companies. Right. Why do you think that threat is so powerful? Something is profoundly wrong with the way we're living in America right now. Mm. It's characterized by grotesque inequality, and we're noticing that. But that's a symptom of this underlying loss of a sense of the difference between public and private. That actually, as a public, we want everybody to have respect. Mm-hmm. We don't want to redistribute income necessarily, but you want to give everybody a chance and an adequate and decent life. So both Tim and I are talking about the bundle of things that go into that respect mm-hmm. that are common in other countries. But because we've fallen in love with profit as the only thing that matters, mm-hmm. We've lost track of those values. You can see it, though, in the subway this morning. People treat each other with respect. Everybody, you know, you don't elbow other people out (laughs) of the way. If someone falls down on the platform, you help them. Americans are actually like this. We love chatting to everyone around us. We want them to have equal value. 
But somehow in our public, uh, like the bloviators class, Mm -hmm. everything is about making more money as if, you know, if you're so smart, why aren't you rich? Yeah. Which is so out of whack with how uh, life actually proceeds in Mm -hmm. a, a thoughtful, compassionate way that the people who move between levels maybe that aren't so rich and notice what's going on in the country and are worried about what's going to happen in the future are really concerned about this and looking for the levers they can pull that would bring things back into a more stable yeah. and freer state for everybody concerned. Because actually, even for rich people, this isn't a great time because they feel they have to build gated communities. There's a lot of fear of mm-hmm. the other. And that all comes from this loss of public values. So Tim and I are both attached to this. Yeah. And it's the truth and we're right. Uh, it's just a matter of what steps, what kind of turbulence we're going to go through mm-hmm. before we come out the other side. What is particularly interesting to me, and again, these are these are radically different conversations, but what's interesting to me and I think what makes this a, like a verge thing to talk about mm-hmm. is – I love to talk about 5G, and I will talk to you about the screen size of a phone mm-hmm. and the, the number of pixels on that screen for hours and hours. We literally do that every week. But the actual quality of the lives we lead is now in the hands of a very an increasingly smaller number of very large corporations that are making decisions about what we can experience. And it seems like access competition – like we, you and I have been talking about access competition for like a decade. Yeah. Um, and I'm just wondering – why hasn't that message gotten through? That we actually need a range of internet providers, and if you have massive competition, it's probably fine for T-Mobile to subsidize Spotify and Verizon to subsidize Apple Music because the consumer can make some sort of informed choice. But if you don't have that competition, you actually need at a policy level to make some rules about how people can experience what's on the other side of the access. Why why is that message just – it just doesn't – we just have this argument over and over and over again. <laughs> because it's not visible to people. It's not yeah. clear, which is why I wrote this book, to make it really apparent what's going on. Mm-hmm. It takes a few sentences. It takes a few beats. you got to pay attention for a little while. And we're not that great at doing it. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you see something like the Dust Bowl and, <laughs> and uh, dirt rises up from the plains and floats into the offices in Washington, D.C. in mm-hmm. May 1935, everybody noticed that. It's visceral. We haven't found a way to make this issue a collectively visceral uh, policy problem. But the temperatures are rising for this one because um, more and more people are noticing, and these individual fiber networks are helping this, that life doesn't have to be like this and are jealous. So Mm -hmm. getting mayors jealous of each other is is part of the first step here. Yeah. Yeah. And helping them and then having people give them air cover as a policy matter to fight back against the blandishments and outright mischaracterizations (laughs) promoted (laughs) by the uh, telecom industry. But it's hard. There's so many places where there's fuzz and confusion. We have terrible data being given to the FCC about Mm -hmm. this. It's Um, all self-reported, right? You know, and it all comes down to this, that people talk about this choice between heavy government oversight on the one hand and a completely free market on the other. But in fact, we've got the worst of both worlds. We effectively have a private government run by just a handful of companies when it comes to this crucial issue for the entire country. Electricity used to be the same. We changed it. We should be able to change this issue as well. It does seem like the economy is on a a turn. 
We are in a, you know, in a moment when you have a resurgent Democratic Party that's talking a lot about income inequality, right? You, you have these little quivers in the market. Do you think that's enough or does something yet more have to happen? There is so much ahead. And yeah. uh, sea level rise plays a big role in mm -hmm. this. Um, so it's kind of a slow rolling crisis. What is government good for? Is anybody actually leading the kind of life they want to in America? Yeah. Um, does it become too unsafe? Do we become? Do we start to feel more like Rome mm -hmm. as a country than anything else with our our corroding infrastructure? I don't want to wish a crisis yeah. on my fellow man, uh, but it does seem that we're heading towards some sort of correction. I happened to watch Jimmy Carter's Crisis of Confidence speech recently. He gave that speech in the summer of 1979. He said, "We're heading towards." A more fractured world. We don't care about public values. What's going on? And of course, that sort of doomed him as a presidential <laughs> candidate. But he was telling the truth, and we are always sailing towards it. It, but we would need an actual sharp crisis to change the picture. Yeah, because everything's so incremental and not felt mm -hmm. that I'm not sure we'll will change unless there's a, a real jolt. Yeah. You don't, you don't think a bunch of people saying, you know what, actually screw this. I'm going to stop using Facebook today. I'm going to cut the cord. I'm going to just use, I'm going to go find a market vendor that provides me with a clean connection. That's what I get told. Like if right. enough people want this, the market will deliver it. It's very hard yeah. to get to that direction because I look at my friend's kids' pictures on Facebook and a mm -hmm. lot of people do that. What we actually need is a terrific set of leaders. Yeah. The only reason we have a federal highway system is that Eisenhower, Republican, after the First World War, happened to be stuck in a convoy crossing the United States, trucks mm -hmm. and cars. It, they all got stuck in the mud. It took them, they went, took them two months, <laughs> and they went at about six miles an hour because the roads were so terrible. And he really felt that. Yeah. And that's what gave him the sense that, oh, we need a federal highway system. We don't have anybody like that right now in the public sphere who really feels these issues. Um, and has lived them and yeah. can speak persuasively without worrying about being attacked and undermined by the companies. Yeah. We don't have that in the moment. I was literally over the holidays. I was at my mother-in-law's house, and it's rural Illinois. And she's paying like $100 a month to AT&T mm. to get 20 down and three up. Mm. It's a ton of money. A ton of money. And I actually said, you know, Comcast is here. Like, I'll figure this out for you. And the switching cost is so high. Yeah. Well, she literally was like, well, then I have to get like a new TV service. I'm fine. I don't need, I don't need this thing. And the only thing that's going to convince her is that we can't FaceTime her with right. there. Our, our kid. Human presence is yeah. the killer app. I constantly think about what are the things that make people want the next thing that right. open up this range of possibilities. And it is very much like photos of children. Yes. It's, it's like just that simple. Yeah. And it that's the thing to me where – you see the big carriers, and I, I don't think they know that people would use more of their services. I don't think they've made it – they've made that mental connection. Well, Comcast has. That's why they have that data cap white up there at terabyte. Yeah. Because they're seeing data usage go up 30 percent a year or yeah. more. So they, they do know that people want more data, and they are ready to make more money when they actually do use more data. When they hit that cap. Exactly. They, so, tell me, they tell me that no one ever hits the cap. Uh, more and more people are getting closer and closer. And it's just – so to draw the historical analogy again, mm -hmm. 
The only reason domestic uses of electricity became really popular was because we had a World's Fair where mm -hmm. everybody went to see what was possible using electricity. Before that, yeah. people thought of electricity as only good for a single light bulb in their home. You know, they didn't – you plugged your appliance, if you had one, into the light bulb socket. So, <laughs> so – and they were rolling an electric kitchen around the Irish countryside mm -hmm. in the mid-60s. It takes people a long time to understand all the appliances they could be connecting to this network. When the appliance becomes human presence at a distance with your family or your doctor or an educator or a job – that is going to change things. But people haven't seen that yet. We don't believe things until we see them. Yeah. So places like uh, Chattanooga and Wilson and Louisville and these towns that are actually insisting on having fiber all over the country, that's going to slowly change the story. Yeah. You know, it's funny. On the other side, like the other hat I wear is like the consumer product reviewer. Yeah. And you're, you're just describing like this slowly incremental change. Like right. People are going to start figuring it out. They're going to start understanding they need to build these things. And then on the other side, you know, there's any number of companies that come in here and they're like, we have, we built a Wi-Fi light switch and everyone's going to buy our $199 Wi-Fi. It's, it's a story on our, our website Crazy. today. It's for those companies to succeed, they're reliant on you having a clean connection into your house mm -hmm. because otherwise the, the cloud service won't work. And then yet the third factor is with 5G, the carriers are saying, we're going to put a smart home in your house and we'll manage it at the network level for you. Yes. You know, AT&T will sell you a security system today. Mm-hmm. It's full of Huawei tablets, by the way, which is mm. deeply hilarious to me, like cheap Huawei Android tablets. Um, they just seem like a botnet waiting to happen. Um, but you just have all these forces converging on like the the individual home. Yeah. Right. Can you can you become your own sysadmin and build your own smart house and your house is now a computer and you run it and you've like integrated all these products from Amazon and these other little vendors for the light switches and light bulbs? Or are you going to let some carrier come in and do it for you and charge you some fee on top of it? And all of this requires massively more connectivity, no matter how that market shakes out. And it just – it doesn't seem like that demand is being realized on the other end. Like, hey, if we're if AT&T is going to do smart homes in everybody's house on 5G, we need to deploy 5G across the whole country just to have a market. Actually, AT&T is probably figuring, as is Verizon, that metro areas are enough. Yeah. And richer parts of those metro areas are now. These will be very premium services. Mm -hmm. That's the whole game here to charge more for more. Yeah. And if you have fewer people, you just need to charge even more for more. So that's the game. It's not, there's nobody saying they're going to blanket the entire country. Yeah. And just so, just take your example of the individual homeowner and how much depends on a mm -hmm. great network. And then, change that to every policy we care about as a country. Mm -hmm. If we want people to get a great education, we want great health care. If we want to make sure that we're dealing with climate change and moving climate re refugees and all that kind of stuff, that requires a great network across the country that really reaches every American. And that's the decision we made with electricity. It was going to serve all of our policy goals. We just haven't made that flip yet when it comes to uh, extraordinary connectivity. And because it's not extraordinary. <laughs> it's not extraordinary. You could get, you know, gigabit symmetric access in these Asian countries yeah. for, you know, a reasonable amount, 30 bucks, 40 bucks a month. That's no, crazy. no big deal. And we can't imagine that. And yet we're we think we are so exceptional as a country mm -hmm. that of course things are better here. But anytime you leave and go see what's going on in the rest of the world, it's just not the case. Yeah. But the the classic argument is this country's too big. South Korea is very small. You know, you can just like unspool one roll of fiber and you got everybody. This country's too big. We can't possibly do it. Somehow we managed it with electricity and the telephone system. Yeah. And 
our phone system was the envy of the world when it was rolled out. Yeah. You know, Sweden has the same density as the United States. Korea has a lot of really rural areas. They have blazing connectivity, <laughs> you know, and they just rely on it. Everything just works. Yeah. In our country, things are not working. And we need that leader or set of leaders to show up who says this is a huge problem for from a national security standpoint, big problem, from a resilience as a country standpoint, from an economic growth standpoint, we need to be able to use our big market as the sandbox to develop the new things for the next generation. We're not in that position right now. So if you're a VergeCast listener, what can you do? How can you participate? That's usually the next thing people always ask, right? How can I participate? How can I push? What are some steps you can take besides buying your book, which is now on sale from the other university? Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the book does really try to spell this out in a yeah. very approachable way with funny stories and everything. What you can do is find out at a local level who's doing what. Mm -hmm. Because often people just don't know each other who really care about this issue. So have a meetup in your town. Get a neutral place like a university you know, seminar room available and meet and talk about what's happening. Get the mayor in. At, make sure this is a question for every candidate running for office. What are you doing? What do you plan to do? Raise the temperature for this one. Yeah. Because the problem is there, we're so passive – we're just consuming media and not actually acting to make sure we all have a better life, uh, that politicians are short-term and feel as if they have no air cover to do anything about this. Mm -hmm. And that we know is not the case. If all of America got exercise, we can do almost anything. Mm -hmm. And we're gritty and spunky. We can do it. So getting involved at the local level is the first step. Forcing it onto the political radar screen is the second step. And ensuring that it's an issue for the 2020 presidential election is the third. Yeah, I can't wait to hear Trump talk about fiber deployment in a debate. During the last one, we were just like, all right, he said cyber again. Somebody figure out what that means. So hopefully it comes up. Hopefully hopefully it all shakes out. But I'm very excited that you came on to talk to us about it. I know our audience, the Virtcast audience, deeply cares about this stuff. Oh, that's great. It's bizarre that we have a big audience that wants to hear about policy implementations about fiber, but I'm glad you came and talked to us about it. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much, Professor Crawford. We have to come back soon. we got, we got to keep it not years this time. Okay, not years. Certainly not a decade. Thank you so much. Thank you. So that was Susan Crawford. She's so smart. It was so much fun to talk to her. You can buy her book, Fiber, The Coming Tech Revolution, Why America Might Miss It, wherever you buy books these days. We also have a bunch of stuff for you to read on the site. I want you to check out AI Week. We have an entire week-long package of the state of AI, where it's going. It's super interesting. We just did a story about how AI is helping people detect cancer. Check that out on the site. You can also check out Better Worlds, which is our science fiction project imagining hopeful futures. So this brought you down. We can lift you back up. That is on the site. It's on YouTube. It's in the Verge Extras feed. And we will be back on Friday with another Verge cast. We hope to see you then. Talk to you soon. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.